Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Well, we are going to get in this message today. Uh, if you have your Bible, go with me to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. If you're brand new to church, uh, we sing some songs usually every week. We open up the Bible. Today, I'm going to read uh, 14 verses out of an Old Testament. I'm intentionally going to the Old Testament to kind of prove a point that miracles have been something that God has done forever. Part of who he is. Wonders are what he does. Wonderful is who he is. And we don't just worship wonders. We worship the wonderful God. We uh, we talked the first week about bottomless wonders is is what is available from God. We talked about, I paid for that. We talked about why miracles are available because of what Jesus paid for on the cross. Last week, we talked about expectations. It's how to receive the power of God is expectancy and it's faith. Today, I want to talk to you about when miracles occur. And if you're writing the title of a message today, I want you to write this title down, uh, Wonders Today. Wonders Today. And if you're totally skeptical, you can put a question mark after that. Wonders Today? Or if you're just like sold out, full of faith, you're like, Wonders Today, explanation point. So I'll let you decide how much faith you have this morning. But we're going to have a good time. Uh, and if I, if I have a subtitle for you today, is I want to talk to you about believing believers. Believing believers. Uh, if you have your Bible, go, go with me. Uh, kind of a well-known story for some, new to others. It says this in chapter 5 of the book of Kings, 2 Kings. It says, now Naaman, who are we talking about? Naaman. By the way, at Ocean Church, we talk back to the preacher sometimes uh, just to make other people feel uncomfortable. And so if you feel uncomfortable today, what mission accomplished. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and an honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because he, by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man. Say with me, mighty. mighty. He was really mighty, gifted, had a lot of followers, well known. But, but, always important to get your butt in the right place. Important here. But, he was mighty, but he had a weakness called leprosy. He was a leper. He was mighty, but a leper. The Syrians had got out on raids, and on one of their raids, they brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. She was a servant to Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophets who, were, who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. What kind of faith. If you didn't catch a little bit of faith that's in her tone, if only my master were with the prophets who was in Samaria, for he would be healed of his leprosy. Naaman heard about this, and he went to his master, the king, saying, thus and thus says this girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king said, all right, go now to the land of the king of Israel, or to the the land of Israel, to the king. I'm going to give you a letter. So he left, and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 uh, changes of skinny jeans, Partridge in a pear tree, brought the whole deal. And they brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised to whom, it, to whom it must concern, or may concern, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent my servant Naaman to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. So it happened that when the king of Israel read the letter, he's like, Uh, tears his clothes like Hulk Hogan. He goes, Am I God that I can kill or make someone alive, that this man sends someone to me to heal him of leprosy? Am I God? Therefore, consider this, everybody that this guy's starting a fight with me. So it was that when Elisha, the man of God, heard about it, how the king tore his clothes, 
that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let this guy come to me and he shall know, he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. The Naaman went out with his horses, his chariot, his escalades, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house and Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. How many times? Notice it wasn't Elijah that talked to him, it was his servant. So wash seven times and uh, yeah, you'll be restored and you'll be clean. Naaman became furious. He went away, he's like, what? I said to myself that when I get to Elisha's house, he would come out to me. I, I said to myself that I saw him standing, praying some eloquent prayer to his God, waving his hand over me like the force, and I'm making a modern day. And then I would be healed of my leprosy. Are not the Abna and the Farper, the rivers of Damascus, way better than the dirty waters of Israel? Could I not wash in those rivers and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came to him and like, uh, my father, um, if the prophet told you to do something great, would you not do it? How much more if he just tells you to do something simple, like go dip seven times in the river and you'll be clean? So they talked their master into doing it. He went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, and according to the saying of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Says that he goes back to Elisha, offers him all of his money. Elijah's like, you don't buy the power of God, it's free. Keep your money. But then there was another servant in the story named Gehazi, who was really the, uh, he was supposed to be the successor of Elisha. And after Elijah said no to the money, he waited till Elijah went in the house. And then he, he, he tr- tracks him down. He's like, hey, we changed our mind. We'll take some money. And he was greedy because this is what I've learned. There's people in the body of Christ that try to leverage the power of God for monetary gain. There's a lot of people that don't believe in miracles because of people on TV that say, if you give this much money to my ministry, we'll send you some oil from the Holy Land and it'll heal you. And it's like voting for Pedro. I'll make your wildest dreams come true. That's an Idaho quote. We're going to pray this morning. If you're new to church, I'm going to tell a couple stories. Uh, I'm going to get into this passage and then we're going to ask God to move as only he can move at the end. And we're going to leave here encouraged. If you believe it, go ahead and say amen. amen. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for what you're doing in Oceans Church. I want to say thank you for all the incredible people that you've enabled us to, Lord, in, in, uh, and meet. God, do community, build community with. I thank you for what's ahead. And that, Lord, we truly know that, God, miracles are happening in our midst every week. And I just believe that more are going to happen even today. We invite you, Lord, to have your way today. Have preeminence. God, I pray you meet us where we are today, and I pray you continue to bless the Los Angeles Lakers. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, come on, go ahead and say good amen. Amen. Thanks, Vicky, for the clap. I appreciate that. They need all the clap that they can get. You ever hear about things that just really don't make a lot of sense? Like every day, watch the news. Don't make sense. A lot of things do not make any sense. Just completely like, we call them oxymorons. You ever heard of oxymorons? It's not a, that's not like a, uh, uh, offensive title to give somebody. You're an oxymoron. It's, uh, it's really, uh, if you don't know what oxymoron, just, it's saying something prior to saying something else that really doesn't mean the same thing. There's a lot of oxymorons in life. Like, like I, I, I looked up some phrases that are kind of oxymorons, and a lot of phrases like, uh, as I was, I was kind of looking at this, people say things like, uh, act naturally. Some of these you'll get in about two hours. 
you go to auditions and they're like, oh, how do you become a good actor? Well, you just, you just got to be yourself. I thought I was an actor. I'm supposed to be somebody else. We hear these things all the time, right? It's like, like, like we hear things like people say, uh, we're going to be alone together. Uh, people say, you're like, hey, you want to come over later this week? They go, definitely. Maybe. Man, I'm so full. What'd you eat? Jumbo shrimp. Like passive aggressive. We use it all the time. It's almost like it doesn't make sense anymore. Andy Warhol said this funny oxymoron. He goes, I am deeply superficial. Another person said this. Uh, I distinctly remember forgetting about that. This one describes the millennial generation. Uh, You'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. (laughs) Spending so much money on fanny packs. My gosh. It's just crazy that, that, you know, we live in an era and a day that just like oxymorons, things do not make sense. Like, why do we, why do we do that? Who put this together? One of the big, for me, like one of the the, the greatest things that does not make any sense to me is bowling alley food. It is an anomaly to me. When I get to heaven, I want to meet the first chef at the first bowling alley. I want to know what possessed that man to put a menu together that is finger food when all you're doing is putting your hand in community balls. Nasty, dirty. You walk in and you put on moist shoes. And after you put on the moist shoes, you find a ball that everyone has used. They haven't manufactured a new bowling ball in 1,400 years. They don't wear out. And everyone puts their dirty fingers. And everyone's list. Bowling's one of the greatest sports ever because you can actually eat and play at the same time. It's one of the only sports on the earth you're like, hold my nachos. I'm going in. Going to battle. You know it's a sport for out-of-shape people because there's a little fan where the balls come out. If you're overheating playing bowling, you're out of shape. You must be a bowler. I was thinking about how, how why in the world would you put eating nachos, popcorn, hot dogs, corn dogs, and anything else you can lick your fingers afterwards with a bowling ball sport? And most of us don't own bowling balls. If you own a bowling ball, there's a name for that. It's called a weirdo. Okay, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Your man purse with a ball in it. I'm kidding. I like bowling. I love bowling. Um, I was just thinking that there's certain things in life don't they don't make sense. I think one of the biggest things that make me scratch my head in the Christian world is when we call ourselves believers, but we don't believe for anything. What do you like? What religion are you like? What do you believe? They always ask you that, right? What do you believe? What are your beliefs? I believe. It's, it's, you used to believe a lot today. I, I heard this long ago. One of the great theologians, uh, theologians said this. He said, uh, he said that what you believe about God is actually the most important part about you. What you believe to be true about God is actually maybe the most important aspect of who you are. I would take it a step further. I would say what you believe about the church is very important. 
Because a lot of people, we, we don't, I, I think many people, they don't pray to the same God that I pray to. Because the Bible I read does not say that Jesus is coming back for a church that's weaker than the one that he left. Many people suspect that, man, Christianity is going to continue to plummet, that the power has left the church, that Jesus has left the building, that we're supposed to retreat and vacate in, in Christian ghettos and hide in caves and cross our fingers and suck our thumbs and sit in the fetal position until Jesus rescues us to heaven. And I read my Bible and I'm just like, wait, that doesn't look like the early church. The early church did not retreat from culture. They seem to have this crazy favor and ability and power to infiltrate even the most godless cities. Corinth was so godless. They, they said being a Christian in Corinth was like being an island of morality in an ocean of sin. Ephesus was a pagan city. You look around the Bible, it's like all these gnarly, like, we think that America's like morally bankrupt. You go back in these day and age, and they actually, they went to churches, and they had prostitutions, and they had all these weird rituals, and they did these temple practices that make America look like a very holy nation. And what we find here is there was a power in the early church that actually turned the known world right side up. But nowadays, we're like many churches, and even in the body of Christ, they go, yeah, we believe we're going to heaven, but we don't believe that any heaven is available on earth. It's almost like they should pray this way. Our Father, who art thou in heaven, right, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in earth. That's how many, many Christians live, is they pray on earth as it is in earth. I have no faith that, God, you can do something here that actually is happening up there. I believe that I'm limited to my, my limitations. That what is is what will be. And if I was born this way, I'd die this way. But I want you to know that Jesus offers us a one-of-a-kind offer, offer, opportunity, to actually access things that we can never get by ourselves. I believe that wonders are something that he actually has available today. And I would caution you if you grew up in a denomination or a religious uh, persuasion that requires zero faith in this life. Because the Bible I read says that it is impossible to please God without. For he who comes to God must believe that he. Say with me. He. I want you to know that he's not the great I was. He's not just the great I will. The Bible calls him the great I. I want you to catch this simple thought that faith lives in the present tense. And it's really easy for scholars and cemetery or sem seminary professors to, fit, to sit in their think tanks and speculate, yeah, maybe miracles did happen. Maybe they did happen in the early church. And literally cessationists say, they say, well, pretty much power left the church, left the building when the apostles died. My problem is, is it wasn't just apostles that did miracles in the Bible. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Philip wasn't an apostle. Ananias wasn't an apostle. So miracles were not just limited to those that were apostles. Are you tracking? So that's my first problem. My second problem is, is whenever you have a theological view of God that requires no faith, what honor does God get by us believing him for nothing? I did a study this week, and what I discovered was is that the, the healing and miracles, signs and wonders, were indeed the number one way that God received glory and was glorified through his name while he was on the earth. Two-thirds of everything that Jesus preached was around miracles. One-third of his method of ministry was teaching in interesting ways, meeting people's needs, and healing their physical conditions.
So when you start cutting and pasting the power of God out of the gospel, what happens is, is you have to start cutting and pasting a lot. And you go from being a sensationalist that they say miracles stopped in the early church when Jesus left and the apostles died, to now you become a liberal theologian that believes that, you know what, maybe they weren't miracles at all. Maybe they were just maybe like hyperbolic stories. And I want you to know it's a slippery slope when you start taking the power of God out of the Gospels. Are you hearing me today? The Bible I read says in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, 28 and Mark, Mark chapter 16 that when Jesus gave the great commission, he told the world to go on doing and teaching new people the things that Jesus taught his disciples. I'm going to go a step further. Is I think that we, we have a problem in America today that we have mistaken the studying of the master to becoming like the master. Jesus didn't say to study what I am. He said, I want you to become what I've done. When Jesus said, follow me, he had a scandalous idea in the rabbinic culture is rabbis would never give an invitation for you to follow them unless they believed that you could become like they were. That's why it was an anomaly that Jesus selected 12 non-scholarly seminary students. He selected fishermen and tax collectors and, and random people. And he said, look, follow me. And they're like, wait, you're telling me that in that, in that invitation that you think me, a cussing, dysfunctional fisherman, can take on the nature of who you are. See, miracles were something that Jesus did, but it was also something he commanded that we would continue to do. And I want you to say to all the sensationalists that are in, in the world that say, man, miracles stop with the apostles. I want you to note that in, in Mark 16 and in Matthew 28, it doesn't say this is the Great Commission and do it for 200 years. Until all the apostles are dead, and until the Bible is canonized. And then after that, the power is leaving the building. You see, I believe there's different parts of different levels of faith or belief. And I love the story in the Old Testament because it models to us people that are in different points of faith. Are you ready to go? I have five areas of faith. I believe everyone in the room is probably in one of these five areas, maybe more than one. The first area of faith that we find here that you could be in, which I think is a really good place to be, is a level of simple or you call it pure faith. There is a Syrian, uh, Syrian uh, refugee, essentially, or not a refugee, but she was captured from Israel. She's living in Syria, and she's actually working for the guy that killed her family. I want you to think about that for a second. This, this little slave girl, she has one verse, one cameo in the whole Bible, but we learn more about her in one verse than many people we know about with books named after them. Because what we know about this slave girl is she had simple, pure faith that she actually won over the guy that murdered her family's wife. That, hey, not only am I not mean or angry at what you did to my family, I'm going to serve you. And not only am I going to serve you, I'm going to care about the needs of the guy that hurt my family. I want you to think of this for a second. She had simple, pure faith. She actually had such a godly love for this guy that didn't deserve it that she tells his wife, man, I wish he would go to my hometown and go to my church ocean, oh no, to go to, uh, I wish he would go to Israel because there is a prophet, there's a pastor in that city that believes that God can still do miracles. His name's Elisha. And if he went there, he would be healed. And what I love is, is that they obviously love this slave girl because they actually believe that it wasn't a trap to be punished, that he actually risked his reputation going to the king and said, hey, there's a girl that works for me 
that I killed her family that's won over our hearts that has a light in her that I've never seen anywhere else on the earth. And she told me that if I go to her hometown, there's a prophet there that could heal me of my leprosy. So the first thing we see here is there's people that have simple, pure faith. You can call it childlike faith. Childlike faith is, is often misunderstood with childish faith. Intellectual people with more degrees than a thermometer, they point their glasses up on their forehead and they speculate and they say, you know what, if you believe that God can still do miracles and you believe in a God that you can't see that was born from a woman that was never intimate with her husband and you believe that a God could create everything out of nothing and lives outside, outside of time and space, you are a very simple human being. And many people, they try to actually, they, they try to make childlike faith, childish faith. They are different. Can I get an amen? I do believe in a God that made everything out of nothing. And I believe in a God that doesn't live in what he made. Doesn't just live in what he made. Hey, can I see a phone real fast? Steve Jobs made this phone. He does not live in this phone. God made the heavens of the earth, time and space and matter. But he's he's not bound to what he made. He's outside of it. He's bigger than it. He understands everything that's in it, but he understands everything that's outside of it. All we understand is this phone. God understands everything that's outside of the phone. Are you tracking with me today? And I think many people, they go, Mark, I don't know, man. Having simple, pure faith that God is good and that God can do things that we can't do, that's hard for me to swallow. Well, this is the premise of what faith is. It says faith is the substance of things I heard one guy one time, this young kid, he's, he's going to a Baptist seminary, and he's, he came to me after church one time in Boise, and he goes, he goes Pastor, you've got to be careful with telling people that God still does miracles and stuff because you're going to get people's hopes up. He's like, you've got to be careful. You can discourage some people because they can get their hopes up. I'm like, bro, I am in the hope business. I am a hope distributor. I invest the truth by giving people hope. That's what we do. The message of Christianity is hope. Are you following me today? And he goes, I don't know. You got to be careful, man. And, and listen, whenever you have a belief in God that says, I don't need to believe for anything, that is a dangerous view. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just I don't think God could do anything today. I love this because she had a, she had a very childlike faith. Yeah. Man, if he would just go to my church, they would pray for him, and this guy would get healed. Never mind it's leprosy. Never mind it's incurable. Never mind that it's a disease that causes you to lose feeling, to go numb. And I'll be honest today, all of us have something in common. We're like Naaman, that we have great strengths, mighty men of valor, but we all have areas of weaknesses. What do you do with the weaknesses that are in your family, in your life, and in your business? I believe that what we should learn from the story is, is that, look, you can be a mighty man of valor, and you got to get around some people that literally, listen, they don't have childish faith, but they have childlike faith. And even if you don't believe in miracles today, that's fine, but if you get diagnosed with terminal cancer, I guarantee you might get curious again to come back. I want to be the church that people go to when they've tried everything else. Because I believe that the church will be greater than the former church. And I believe that Jesus promised in Ephesians that he's going to come back for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. And I'm telling you, well, persecution's getting stronger. The Bible I read says that the more that the, the children of God were afflicted, the more miracles surfaced. It's weird. And every time, even in history, when Nero and, and different leaders and dictators historically have persecuted Christians, it would go underground, yeah. 
But when it went underground, it always, it always resurfaced with the power of God and signs and wonders following. I'm telling you that we live in an era that we have money to buy everything, but we can't access the power of God through our educations. And we can't just access the power of God through the money that we have in our checking account. So what we see here is there's childlike, pure faith. But the issue is, as many of us are in the second category of faith, is we have disillusioned and disappointed faith. This is where Naaman is in verse 13 or 12 when he actually shows up to Elijah's house. We're here. Come heal me. And guess what? The entire way to church or to Elijah's house, he visualized how God was going to heal him. Aren't we good at this? Like, God, I know what you want to do, and I know how you're going to do it. And I even know when you're going to do it. You're welcome. Assist, you know. If God gave you everything you wanted every time you asked for it, guess what? You need a new job description. You're now called God. What makes him who he is is he does what he wants when he wants. <laughs> so many stories in the Bible I could, I could go into right now. But I want you to know what makes God who he is is he has the uh, free will to select and go, you know what? I'm going to answer that prayer. I love you too much to answer that prayer. If I gave you what you wanted, when you wanted it, every time you wanted it, it would ruin your life. Are you following me today? Because oftentimes we as young people, we think we're ready to drive before we're ready to drive. When I was 14, I'm like, they should, remo- they should change a lot of 14-year-olds. Now I'm 35, I'm like, they should change a lot of 34-year-olds. We always think we're ready before we're usually ready. And this guy's disappointed because this is what he did. He, he drove to church. And he said, look, God can only do it this way. Pastor's going to get up. He's going to point me out of the crowd. He's going to pray some eloquent prayer over me. And then he's going to wave his hand like Luke Skywalker. And then after he waves his hand, he's going to do like this awesome thing. And then all of my conditions are going to be healed. And I'm going to get feeling back. And I'm going to get healed immediately. And it's weird because he shows up to the house. All right, I'm here. And all of a sudden, there's like this little servant dude that walks to the door. Hey. Yeah, he's not coming. Yeah, he just said to go to the river, the Jordan River, getting it seven times, just seven times. You'll be great. Slam the door. And this mighty general's like, no, you didn't. He's like, no, I visualized in my head how God was supposed to do this. You know why many people get fractured with their faith? Because they visualize how God should move. Come on, are you following me today? God, you can heal this, that, and the other, but you can't do this. Why would we believe that God can forgive your sins but not heal a headache? And can I just, while we're talking about this, can we just settle this, this, this thing? Is there some things that are hard and some things that are easy? Can I ask a question today? Is removing a boulder harder than moving a little pebble? Maybe for you and me, but I just want you to know that moving a mountain is not harder than moving a small rock to God. You see, in God's kingdom, he lives outside of the cell phone. Doing something big is just as easy as doing something small. I feel like I'm getting some pushback today in here. Kicking some sacred cows. I don't know. I I think God, I think miracles are for yesterday. I want to know Jesus said, I am the same yesterday. Today. Do you know that fear is faith in what the devil says? And I want you to catch this one. Doubt is faith in nothing. You know what's really easy? To not have faith for anything in life. 
I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds. I don't think there's anything for me. I don't think God's good. I don't think God can do anything. I don't think he can speak. I don't think he can direct my career, my marriage, my family, my finances. I don't really, I don't have faith for anything. You have faith in nothing. You're putting all your faith in nothing. But I got good news for you today, that faith in God is actually believing, using the same muscle that fear uses, but in the right entity. (laughs) So what are you saying? I, I, I don't know. Naaman's fractured because his expectations were not met. I said to myself that he would do it this way. It didn't happen how he wanted it, where he wanted it to happen. And you're telling me I had to go to a dirty river? He's like, wait, there's better rivers in Idaho than going in the L.A. County, whatever it's called. Going in there? Catch a disease. He's like, how about, okay, listen, I'll dip, but can I dip where I want to dip? This is where we get in trouble in the Christian world, too. It's like, okay, I believe that God can do it, but only here, here, and here. Only at that conference where that really prophetic guy comes. He can only move like that once a year thing when everyone's fasting and praying. That's when he'll show up. It's funny that we were like, no, God can heal in those rivers, but not those rivers. So there's people that have disillusioned, disappointed faith. And then there's people that have curious faith. I love curious faith people. It's the servants of Naaman. They're like, hey, if this joker told you to climb Everest, you would have done it. Absolutely. If he told you to do 1,500 burpees, you would have done it. Absolutely. CrossFit. But he, he tells you to just go in a dirty river and dip seven times. That's kind of like a, look, I get you're upset. I get you're resentful that it didn't happen the way you thought it should happen or would happen. But come on now, let's just try it. Let's just try going to Ocean's Church and let's see if there is something in the water that's different. Let's try believing. Because it kind of reminds me of the two lepers that were about to die in the story of the famine. And they said like this, they go, hey, if we stay here, we die for sure. If we leave, we might, we might make it. It's almost like this. You write this down. Living a life of faith, for those of you that don't believe for anything, the only thing you have to lose is to end up where you already are. I always tell my atheist friends, they're like, I don't have enough faith to be a Christian. I'm like, dude, I don't have enough faith not to be a Christian. What do you mean? I think you have way more faith as, a, as an atheist than I do as a Christian. Because if I'm wrong as a believer, I'm going to live a morally sound life. I'm going to love my wife and my kids. I'm going to be faithful to what the Bible says. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to save. I'm going to leave an inheritance for my children's children. And I'm going to die. And if you're right, I'll be dead forever. I miss out on nothing. But if you're wrong and heaven is real and Jesus, who who he claims to be, you not only miss out on this life, you miss out on the next life. Friend, you got way more faith than I have. So I love curious people who are like, well, let's try it. Look, it's, it's a weird church, but let's just try it out. I know we've never gone to church like that. Let's just look. Let's just give it a shot. Curious. Maybe it is real. Let's dip seven times. So if you get some curious faith around you, it'll usually encourage you to get to this next point called determined faith. Determined faith is when Naaman makes up his mind. He's like, all right, I'm done being angry at what God didn't do the way that he didn't do it. I'm tired of 
mourning for things that aren't truly dead yet. Tired of this. Tired of being angry at people that aren't even living anymore. Tired of just living in the past. And he goes, all right, I'm done with what didn't happen. All right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the Bible tells, what God, what this prophet told me to do. And listen to the deal. Obedience is what I'm going to do. Outcomes is what God's going to do. And he makes, a, he makes a conscious decision, which I want to encourage some of you guys today to do. Is going, you know, even if I don't get healed, I'm going to start living with faith again. And even if it doesn't happen the way I want it to happen, I'm going to start determining today that I will do what I've never done before. It's interesting that Elijah asked him to do two things. He said to go to a river that was dirty, and he asked him to take off his, his clothes and dip seven times. The big part of the story is, is he told him to go where he didn't want to go, and he told him to do something that he didn't want to do. Okay, so this one, I'm going to just land the plane. The band can come up here. I'm about finished. Is uh, Naaman, maybe scholars say, never revealed his condition until this day. Think about this. The greatest advantage of being a mighty warrior when you have leprosy is that warriors are always wearing armor. And it's really convenient when you have a condition in your skin that your uniform is pretty much covering you head to toe. So maybe his soldiers knew that there was something a little bit off, but I actually, most scholars say that they, they, it's pretty proven that, that most people wouldn't have known the condition because they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have followed him, served him, obeyed him if they knew that he was unclean. So this word kind of leads me to this point of determined faith. Determined faith makes a decision to be 100% authentic. I'm going to take off everything that's been disguising my true condition. Some of you are like, I want the real power of God. Then you got to be the real you. I want to be surface level with God, but I want him to be deep with me. God gets serious with you, and you get serious with him. Point of no return. Everyone's looking. They're all going to laugh at you, right? Adam Sandler. And they're all up on this hillside. He gets down into the valley, and he takes off his armor, and everyone's jaws drop. They go, oh, my gosh, he's a leper. He's authentic. And he's obeying. Outcome he can't control, but obedience he can't control. You write that down. I can't control outcomes, but I can't control my obedience. So he goes, all right, so I, look, I, I can't heal everyone that comes into our church, but I can believe God that he can heal anybody. So he gets into the waters. He removes all the charades. Just, he removes all the things that were camouflaging and disguising his weakness. And he gets into the waters. And you know what happened is he was determined. Thank God he was determined. Because I think some of you, you started off determined, but you dipped two times and you looked at your skin and you went, doesn't work. I went two times under that water. Nothing's changed. You know how many people revert to churches that can justify their lack of faith because they were in a church and they dipped a couple of times and it didn't happen where they wanted it to happen, when they wanted it to happen, how they wanted it to happen. And what they did is they brought their theology down to a level that has no disappointments. Well, I'm comfortable, I'll never be disappointed again. Because I'll never believe God for anything great. You ever met someone that had a really bad breakup? And they go, I'm never going to love anyone again. I'm never going to let anyone love me again. You don't give up on love because you've been hurt. I feel something in this room. Orange County, listen to me. 
just because there are some Gehazis that have been here, just because there has been people that have monetized the power of God and displayed it in obscure, eccentric, weird ways, can I plead with you to never bring your theology down to something that you're comfortable with? I don't need a God that I can completely understand. I need a God that I can fully trust. I don't need a theology that I can fully understand everything. I need a God that's big enough that I can completely trust. I'm not asking any of you smart people to amputate your brain coming into the church. I'm not asking you to do that. But I am asking you to say, when you don't understand certain things, sometimes trust precedes understanding. Trust oftentimes precedes understanding. John chapter 6, right? Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Everyone's like, crazy! We're out! He looks at his followers. He's like, you guys leaving? Peter's like, we ain't got no plan B. Where are we going to go? Solar fishing boat. I'm all in. I'm all in. And he goes, you don't want to leave? No, we don't understand what you're saying right now, but even if we don't understand you, we trust you. So lo and behold, you fast forward a few few months. They're sitting at a table. And for the first time in their life, Jesus goes, hey, this is the bread. This represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And by the way, this is the blood. This is the blood blood of the new covenant. And this is the blood that's going to be shed for you for the remission of your sins. Eat my flesh, drink my. For the first time, what they heard before that was weird now makes sense. Because trust, oftentimes in the kingdom of God, precedes understanding. If you're going to clap, come on, give God a good hand clap. I feel something in here today. Church is going to hell. Everyone's perishing. We're not going to make it out of here alive. It's weird that even the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, the seed the seed, and the sower, the mustard seed, certainly the yeast and the leaven, everything that talks about the kingdom of God talks about this dimension of growth and influence. The Bible I read does not say that we're going to sneak through the back door of earth to get in the back door of heaven. I'm not here to to survive earth and to army crawl into eternity. I believe that when we do this thing the way that God told us to do it, that people will look at you and go, man, what the heck? They thought that Paul was a God. They thought that Barnabas was a God. They had to rip their shirts off and like, like, I put jeans on like you do, settle down. I didn't heal you, God did. I'm a lightning rod, but the power does not come through me. It doesn't come from me. And I wonder if you're here today and you're like, you know what? I've been wounded by a theology of Gehazis that try to monetize the power of God. And I've reduced my theology to something I'm comfortable with that I'll never be disappointed with again. Look, you can reinsure that you'll never fall in love again if you never let anybody in. But I don't think that's the way you're supposed to live your life. We will not be a community that lives with dysfunctional faith. We will be a church for broken people to come to that actually has people that believe with determined faith that even if it doesn't happen this dip, it's going to come. And maybe I'm the second person that's dipping you, but it's going to come. And maybe I'm the third person that prayed for you that over that condition, and you're gonna, it's going to come on, it's going to happen. I don't know. I talked to Santiago after service. He got in a major accident. He goes, Mark, I think I'm on my fifth dip. He goes, I know that God's going to heal me. Look, I've been assured that my Redeemer, He lives. 
we will be a church that when you get a, you get a bad diagnosis or you have a friend that does, you're going to say, you want to go to my church. We're not going to plan your funeral just yet. We're going to believe God. I thought like there's too many churches that when someone gets sick, they say, let's start planning the funeral. We're going to be the church that has some prayer meetings before any type of funeral. We're going to be a church that has some faith before we just throw in the towel and say, well, this is the way it is. It must be God just punishing you. It's the stupidest theology I have ever heard that God puts sickness on people. Would you do that to your kids? Go outside. Take your shoes off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you in the cold long enough for you to get pneumonia. So I'm going to teach you a lesson. There's a place for people like that. It's called the psych ward. That's where we put people that don't act right. That's called child abuse. Do you think that you being evil compared to God would treat your kids better than God would treat his? I feel like preaching today. You really think that you're better to your kids than God is to his kids. And you're like, absolutely not. Then why is your theology so twisted? God doesn't do anything great for us. He doesn't care about us. He's an he's a, he's a absent dad that doesn't care about my graduations. He's not going to be at my wedding. He's not going to walk me down the aisle. He doesn't care. He retired 2,000 years ago, and he lives outside of time and space, and he doesn't care about the earth. The Bible I read says that he's going to come again. Call me old-fashioned. But I believe that one day the sky is going to split. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds. And I do believe that our Lord will come again physically to the earth. He told the early disciples when the angels showed up, the angels said the same way you saw him leave is the same way he's going to return. And he says this, when I come back, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? You know what he's looking for is people that believe. I'm a believer. I just don't believe in anything. That is an oxymoron. That is nachos in bowling ball theology. And I'm asking you today to get rid of that dirty theology that says we believe in heaven, but we don't believe that heaven is available at all on earth. Jesus didn't just die to pay for your sins. He died to heal you. Listen, I, heard, I read this this week from a scholar. He said miracles of healing are, as it were, symbolic demonstrations of God's forgiveness in action. Miracles are God's forgiveness in action. Some say, well, Mark, miracles, that's, that's a Pentecostal thing. No, it's a Christian thing. How do you know? Well, there's a guy, really smart guy, a lot smarter than I am. Not as good looking, but smarter. And uh, he wrote in this book in 1986, Christianizing the Roman Empire. He wrote this between 100 AD, or he talked about from 100 AD to 400 AD, Yale University Press, Professor Ramsey McMullen, he said this, he says that it reveals in his book that the power to deliver people and heal people in the name of Jesus was the number one cause of all the adherents of other religions in the Roman Empire to forsake their religions and come to Christ. This was the main reason of conversions in the Roman Empire between 100 AD and 400 AD is they said that when people use the name, darkness left. And when people use the name, people got healed. You don't change the world in a theology that has good literature but no power. 
come again for a church that has as much power as the one he left. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.